episode 78. Snow, snow, snow. Head on a pillow full of snow. Ice crystals blowing through my summer screen. Frozen, salty, sparkling air of my dreams. Greetings and welcome into the Patuxent General. I am your host, Jess, and it's hot outside everywhere. So, this week we're going to talk about all things chilled, a healthy whipped frozen limeade for a cooling mocktail, so much about ice cream, everybody's go-to the world over, as well as a visit to the oh-so-chilling Seaview Terrace in Newport. But first, let's thank our Patreon subscribers, who are the Snowmobile Rescues, the Early Dismissal, Salty Brian saying, No School Foster Gloucester, and Eight Foot Snowdrifts, that is, the Blizzard of 78 that we call the Patuxent General, without whom we'd be stuck in this hot, steamy reality. So thank you! If you would like to be one of these folks who surely would have sold milk and bread out of the back door to sleds, check out our page on patreon.com or simply follow the links in the show notes. But until then, let's chat about frozen limeade. I adore frozen lemon or limeade most of all, and it's been my favorite since I was little. But in the modern era, there is an awful lot of high fructose corn syrup in the frozen stuff. As a special healthy treat, or as an at-home version of our local Dells, Eating Well has this to say about whipped frozen limeade. This whipped frozen limeade is a blast from the past, but much better for you. It's got the nostalgic taste of lemon-lime slushy, and this time it's made from real lime juice and fresh homemade syrup. Just a splash of dairy is enough to invoke the creaminess of vanilla soft serve mixed with a cool and tangy ice slush. Or use coconut milk creamer for a tropical twist. For this recipe, you will need one half cup sugar, one half cup water, zest of one large lime or two small limes, one half cup freshly squeezed lime juice from three to four limes, two tablespoons half and half, two and a half cups ice cubes. Step one, bring the sugar and water to a simmer in a small saucepan over medium heat. Cook, stirring occasionally until the sugar dissolves. Stir in the lime zest and remove from the heat. Cover and let steep for one hour. Then strain the syrup through a fine mesh sieve. Discard the zest. If you have extra lime simple syrup, refrigerate it for up to a week. Add one half cup of the simple syrup, all of the lime juice, the half and half, and the ice into a blender. Blend until the ice is crushed and the mixture is slushy. Divide among four 8-ounce glasses and serve immediately. Of course, you can make your simple syrup up to a week ahead. I bet you won't be able to resist, though. I hope it keeps you cool. Enjoy. Here we are in the hottest time of the year, and for hundreds, some say thousands of years, ice cream in some form or another has soothed our parched throats. There are tales of ices from around the world, ice cream through wartime, and I found the history of ice cream according to PBS and Tori in the History Kitchen, who you can find at ToriAvery.com. And they say, 
If you grew up in America, odds are you know this little foodie rhyme. You scream, I scream. We all scream for ice cream. For most Americans, the phrase ice cream conjures up memories of summer, like slurping melted cones, banana splits, hot fudge sundaes, root beer floats, and buying a scoop from the drugstore when it only cost a dime. Ice cream is the ultimate old-fashioned treat. This dessert has a very worldly history that stretches all around the globe. In India, there's kulfi. In Italy, gelato. In Japan, mochi. It seems every country has its own spin on the delicious frozen confection we Americans call ice cream. This sweet stuff gets around, and where exactly does it come from? There are several myths about the origin of ice cream. Some say Marco Polo brought it back from his travels to the Far East. Others say that Catherine de' Medici introduced it to France when she relocated to marry King Henry II. Neither tale is likely to be true, though both are romantic. In fact, ice cream has a much more ancient history. Its earliest form holds very little resemblance to the ice cream we eat today. Biblical passages refer to King Solomon enjoying cooling ice drinks during harvest season. Alexander the Great of ancient Greece loved to indulge in icy drinks flavored with honey or wine. During Nero's reign of Rome, ice was harvested from nearby mountains and held in ice houses, deep pits covered with straw. The earliest forms of ice cream bear little resemblance to the creamy sweet stuff inside your freezer. The emperors of the Tang Dynasty are believed to have been the first to eat a frozen milk-like confection. This version was made with cow, goat, or buffalo milk that was heated with flour. Camphor, an aromatic substance harvested from evergreen trees, was added to enhance the texture and flavor. The mixture was then placed in metal tubes and lowered into an ice pool until frozen. This process is similar to the way Indians made kulfi prior to refrigeration. In medieval times, Arabs drank an icy refreshment called sherbet or sherbet in Arabic. These chilled drinks were often flavored with cherry or pomegranate, and over time these drinks became popular with the European aristocracy. Italians are said to have mastered this drink-making technique, with the French following suit shortly after. The 17th century saw ice drinks being made into frozen desserts. With the addition of sugar, sorbetto was created, or as we more commonly know it, sorbet. Antonio Latini, a man working for the Spanish Viceroy in Naples, is credited with being the first person to write down a recipe for sorbetto. He is also responsible for creating a milk-based sorbet, which most culinary historians consider to be the first official ice cream. In 1686, a Sicilian named Francesco Procopio de Contelli opened Paris's first café, Il Procope. The establishment became a meeting place for many famous intellectuals, including Benjamin Franklin, Victor Hugo, and Napoleon. The café introduced gelato, the Italian version of sorbet, to a French public. It was served in small porcelain bowls resembling egg cups. Procopio became known as the father of Italian gelato. Around the same time, the French began experimenting with a frozen dessert called fromage. 
French confectioner Nicolas Audiger, in his book La Maison Reglée, describes several fromage recipes made from ices flavored with fruit. One early recipe includes cream, sugar, and orange flower water. Audiger also suggests stirring ices during the freezing process to introduce air and create a fluffier texture. Despite the dessert's name, fromage was not made from cheese. It is not completely clear why they called it fromage. The word may refer to the cheese molds that were used to unfreeze the ice cream, or it may simply be a lax French term for any compressed or molded edible substance. Whatever the reason, during the 18th century, frozen fromage became quite popular throughout France. It is impossible to say how exactly ice cream reached America, but it likely arrived with European settlers as early as the 1700s. By this time, several books on confectionery had been produced and included recipe for ices and ice cream. Housewives would serve these treats to guests in the shape of vegetables, fruits, and animals, thanks to special ice cream molds. In 1790, the first ice cream parlor opened in New York. During the summer of the same year, our first president, George Washington, is said to have spent $200 to satisfy his craving for the refreshing treat. Inventory records of his Mount Vernon home also indicate that he owned several ice cream pots made from tin and pewter. Thomas Jefferson is said to have kept several ice houses, able to hold up to 62 wagon loads of ice, along with copious amounts of ice cream. Even the Lincolns had a taste for the cold stuff. Before and during his presidency, Abraham Lincoln's wife, Mary Todd, frequently hosted strawberry parties for friends in both Springfield, Illinois, and Washington to celebrate berry season. Fresh, ripe strawberries were served with cake and, you guessed it, iced cream. Though its history spans worldwide and over centuries, ice cream has made itself quite comfortable in America, becoming one of the most popular desserts in the country. A staggering 9% of American cow's milk production is dedicated to ice cream. Apple pie might be the most traditional American dessert, but what is served as its most popular sidekick? Vanilla ice cream, of course. This creamy ice treat has firmly planted itself in the hearts of foodies across America. I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his electromagnetic pinball museum and restoration arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball and pinball and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. Seaview Terrace has one of the most documented hauntings in our area, but we haven't even talked about it yet. And seeing as it is the season to hang around Newport, you might want to take a peek, albeit from the sidewalk unless you are lucky enough to be granted a tour by the Corey family, the current owners. The house's history itself is as intriguing as its paranormal reputation. The original building was built in 1876 and after much renovation and two owners was bought in 1907 by Edson Bradley 
for $166,500, according to the News of the Time. After losing a summer house to fire, Edison Bradley gave his wife for their 50th wedding anniversary not just a new house in Rhode Island, but one made of their Washington house as well. That's right, the house we are talking about was originally bought at 1328 Connecticut Avenue on Washington, D.C.'s DuPont Circle, and for his wife, over two years, moved it to the Cliff Walk in Newport, Rhode Island, over 400 miles, a distinction that landed the building on Ripley's Believe It or Not. The property already contained an 1885 Elizabethan Revival mansion on it, which was added to the design of the new house. When it was finished, it was the fifth largest Newport mansion, a creepy masterpiece. So much so that perhaps you recognize it from an opening of Dark Shadows, a 1960s supernatural soap opera. Only Barnabas Collins could live in such a dark place, but the scariest parts are true. Perhaps stories of the chapel are to be expected but you can, through a trapdoor on the second floor, reach the Etsy organ, which is the hub of ghostly activity. They believe it is the haunt of Julia Williams Bradley, who passed in 1929, not long after moving in. Her ghost was seen playing the organ following her funeral service. Many people have heard the voice of Mrs. Bradley, seen the shadowy figures in the upstairs bedrooms, not to mention faces in the windows during their dream. Any enthusiast of dark shadows recognizes the haunting dark angles all about the place. Perhaps it makes people jumpy. However, it is always the same story, the lady playing the organ in the chapel. This same chapel, which holds stained glass originally designed for the Milan Cathedral in Italy, called the Flagellation from the 1500s. It was bought by Bradley for the DC house and then incorporated into the Newport house. Perhaps that has some effect. What about the stairs that folks hear people running up and down, but nobody is there? Much of these rooms were bought in France and transplanted twice. Then you had years of students running up and down those same stairs. Is there any doubt that there would be a memory store there? I believe so. When they do start offering tours again, I know that I'm going to go. But until then, I can watch Seaview Terrace in reruns. Thank you once again for joining us today at the Patuxent General. If you would like to reach out with a question, comment, order, or a local ghost story, our email is jess at patuxentgeneral.com. Please reach out, we'd love to hear from you. But until then, I'll meet you right back here next time at the Patuxent General. A something for Posterity Production, pre-recorded in the Texas.